Hello, and welcome to season three of our Parallel Paths, a future for my loved one with a disability and for me. I'm your host, Jerry, Dr. Geraldine Arango-Dilly, and this podcast is about just what the title says, the parallel paths of family members, certainly parents, sometimes siblings as parents age or pass on, and their loved ones with intellectual disabilities. I'm a parent myself, and I always have questions. Our Parallel Paths is about creating a promising future for our adult family members with an intellectual disability and a promising future for ourselves as our role of family member evolves alongside them. There is more than one path, more than one future to talk about, and that's why we're here. Some remarkable people share their stories on our Parallel Paths, and I really hope these stories and the wisdom that comes with them resonate with you and give you ideas and hope for your path. So each season so far, an episode of our Parallel Paths has featured a sibling story. Maybe you'll remember Suzanne Munch from season one and Eric Gall from season two. Brothers and sisters with and without disabilities are usually in each other's lives longer than anyone else. Because And siblings with disabilities may live longer than their parents and will very likely outlast the presence of all the staff and all the service providers who pass through their lives. And we families generally know by now that there are often lots of staff and lots of service providers, and they may be wonderful. They may be necessary. They may even feel like family, but they are paid support. And though they may stay in our loved one's lives, their shifts that we came to rely on end when the staff is no longer on the payroll. So then what? Then who? I have had an ongoing interest in learning more about sibling relationship when one of the siblings has a disability, because my own son, Nick, has Down syndrome, as you know, and his sister, Courtney, slash Izzy, uh, depending on where you know her from, and is here today, is older by just about three years. She has just separated, left the Navy. Thank you for your service, as I always say. And she has a family of her own. She and Nick have always been close, and that's so great. But I know that Courtney is maybe getting a little bit more curious about this positive, stepped-up future role in Nick's life, especially because Nick and Courtney's father passed away nine years ago. And because Courtney doesn't live in Pennsylvania anymore, she's in Norfolk right now, um, and Pennsylvania is where Nick's services are and where Nick will likely have to stay, which is fine. Um, but when I'm gone, then what? Then who? I know I'm becoming more curious. I'm becoming more concerned as I try to support Nick to have a life where his sister will not have a seismic shock when I die. And the stories and wisdom of others, I find them really helpful. So holy cow, what wonderful guests I have today. Welcome to my daughter, Courtney slash Izzy, depending on where you know her from. And welcome to Emily Hall, sibling and leader in the field of sibling support. And so a bit about Emily. Emily is the director of the Sibling Support Project, and Emily has over 20 years of experience in the disability field. She served on the board of the Sibling Leadership Network, and she's written about her own sibling experiences in blogs and magazines and books such as Thicker Than Water. And I have a copy of that. Check your shelf. You might have one, too. <laughs> Um, Emily 
was the author and co-editor of a book called The Sibling Survival Guide, Indispensable Information for Adult Brothers and Sisters of People with Disabilities. And that came out in 2014. Um, it seems that it's out of print. Um, I hope that they come up with a revised version because it's so much good stuff. And the 2014 version, I think I got the last reasonably priced copy because it must be something people want. It's going for like $75 a pop if you want to buy it on Amazon used. But that's where I found Emily's name. And I got curious. Emily's provided workshops and training and groups for siblings and families and people with disabilities. If you have heard of Sib Shops, and Courtney spent a moment or two in Sib Shops too, you may know Emily's name from there too. She's worked all over the country from my native New York City to Minnesota to where she is coming to us from today in greater Seattle. Emily's a wife and a mom um, of two boys and a sibling to her brother, Peter. My daughter, Courtney, is a wife and mom of three-year-old Vivi, snaps to Vivi, granddaughter, <laughs> and older sibling, of course, to Nick. Uh, so welcome, Emily, and welcome to my darling daughter, Courtney. Both Thank of you, you so much for having us. Yay. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Now, both of you are somebody's, ch somebody's child, right? Somebody's mother. And you have a sibling with a disability. So you know that phrase, uh, the sandwich generation? I think I'm going to call you guys the club sandwich generation. Because, and I don't know if anybody's, if that's my original thing or what. But um, in the midst of the usual, you know, my parents may be getting older and I have children you got this in the, the layer in between with that extra little slice of bread that's your sibling with a disability. And so you have that to think about too. And every, you know, everyone who's listening may have a greater or lesser, you know, degree of that, but that's real and it can be a lot. So as mom, I'm often thinking, how can I support my daughter? And hopefully how this podcast can help support people like us on the parallel path. So, of course, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Your dad and I tried so hard when you were little to be sure that you never felt less important than Nick, you know, with all the early health issues, you know, how much time he spent in the hospital, the ongoing education issues, you know, uh, behavior issues that were kind of scary sometimes. And I know your dad and I both hoped we did okay by you, which is typical of any parent and their child, you know, um, when a new one comes along, oh, you know, we never thought we could love anybody as much as you. And you find out that you can, but how's the child doing? That's typical stuff, you know? Um, but we also kind of tread lightly on what would happen when we're gone and your dad has passed. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I can only say that we maybe did we tread too lightly? Did we tread too heavily? But I'm thinking, what do you remember about those years yourself? Because I can tell you what I'm thinking, but is that what you um, recall too? And the challenges of being Nick's sister, the gifts of being Nick's sister. Um, so growing up, I never felt like I was in uh, my sibling's shadow in any way except socially, because Nick is probably the most social um, and popular person I've ever met. Uh, and then there's, you know, I was always Nick's sister, which was never because he had a disability it was just because he always has had this massive personality who everybody knew nick and nick knew everybody and it was great um but you guys 
did a really great job of preparing me for kind of what life would look like in some aspect. And I, I know that we've had conversations about kind of, you know, the future and all these things, but it was never, you in particular never made me feel like taking on Nick was, I guess it was never a burden. It was always just sort of like, of course, I'm going to take care of my sibling. Like, what else am I going to do? And I've always been a part of planning, you know, even the little things being part of his path meetings where we're just kind of deciding the little, you know, five years in the future um, and just figuring out little steps. And now that I'm entering into my big girl kind of taking on a bigger part of my brother's care or just kind of helping out in his life. Um, I feel, I feel prepared and I just, I'm ready and I'm excited about it. And I'm grateful that I'm kind of prepared for what's happening in a way. All right. Let me get my Kleenex. I think I'm going to cry, but. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> okay. I won't. Um, but I'm that's, that's, that's the best thing you could ever say to me as a starting point is that you're like, all right, I'm on board, you know? Um, and so now you guys are kind of old, you know, you're in your Thanks. high twenties. Well, I'm, don't even ask me how old I am. <laughs> you already know. And we're not going to stop say, calling me old mom not say publicly, <laughs> but um, you're still close, even though you're not physically in proximity to one another right now. Uh, and I love that. And I feel like it's such a gift. Um, so with daddy gone and your own life. And there's so much going on for you, moving school, motherhood, being a wife, having a husband who has married into this, you know, Yeah. <laughs> what kinds of things are you thinking about? I think we call this the anticipatory phase. You're not in it yet, but you're, it's something, things are coming a little bit. What are you thinking about? So I, I'm just, in the next couple of years, the goal for my family, um, right now we're in the middle of moving, which is everybody knows is not stressful at all. Um, and I did recently separate from the military. I'm now a veteran and I'm getting out of Norfolk, Virginia, where I've been stationed for the past six years um, and finally getting to move up north and now be able to be more a part of my family's life, not only as just, you know, getting to see cousins and uncles and aunts and everybody again, because I'll be close, um, but getting to take more responsibility on for Nick um, and my husband, who is a religious listener of this podcast, um, because he <laughs> never, he's never had any kind of um, interaction a significant interaction with people with intellectual disabilities. So this is all very new to him. And he's just now when we were dating, I was like, just so you know, like, this is kind of what my life is going to be like, either you can get on board or you can go because there's no negotiation with that. Um, and so now we're just, we're getting ready to start a whole new chapter that we're excited and nervous about. And I have a three-year-old who's so excited to be near her Muji, which is That's what me. we call her grandmother. Yes. <laughs> and she's near uncle Nick and they all get to gang up on me now. And it's a big, it's a big step, but it's an exciting step. It's a stressful step, but it's going to be, it's going to be good for all of us. And I'm, we're all very excited, terrified, but excited. <laughs> okay. Well, um, 
are there things in this anticipatory phase that you kind of say, you know, there's any, anything you'd add into that with regard to like, what does it look like with Nick? Or are you feeling like I'm good right here at this point? Or I think it's kind of all anticipation because I've, I've been, I've been a part of Nick's kind of plan my whole life. I've, like I said, I've been to path meetings. I've been, um, I've attended different kinds of events for siblings with uh, siblings. I've been to sib shop and things like that. I think I just lost my place a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, she's my daughter. <laughs> um, I think now it's it's kind of an open book right now like we don't really know what we're getting ourselves like we know what we're getting ourselves into but we don't know exactly what my role is going to be um i've seen what you've done over the past into my entire life um but i don't know the specifics of how we're gonna i guess kind of jump into this um but yeah okay that's 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 a lot that's cool that was a big rambly answer and i'm very sorry <laughs> No, it's, it's just, just fine. And so um, like Emily and Suzanne and Eric from the older episodes, they are in it, you know? So Emily, can I start you with a bit of your own story of yourself as sibling and, you know, family member before we even get into all the juicy professional stuff? Um, tell us about, tell us about you, Peter and the crew. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, First of all, Courtney, thank you for your service. We appreciate you so much. Uh, and it's really exciting that you're heading to the next chapter. And I, I just love the way that you talked about, you know, not knowing really the specifics, right? But but having things laid out in such a way that, you know, you feel confident moving forward, which I think is really the ideal and really testament to what your mom has done to plan for Nick and to include you in that planning process, like really all along the way. Um, I think that that is like one of the most important things that parents can do to help their, of all of their children, really. So um, just wanted to comment on that. My story is I, I'm a little older. I love the fact that, you know, Courtney, you're saying stop calling me old because I believe that I'm about like twice your age. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um so my brother and I are now sort of in middle age and both of our parents are, have passed and, um, he lives in Brooklyn, New York, which is, if anyone's doing the geography completely across the country from where I live now. Yeah. And he has really good services in place that, that we set up, um, really quite a few years ago. And, that was a process that was really driven by Peter. Um, at that point, we were, you know, in our 30s and uh, uh, our mom went into the hospital. She had pneumonia. She recovered and was fine after that. But when she was in the hospital, my brother called me. He was living outside of uh, Boston where we grew up and I was in New York City. Um, and he called me and he said, Emily, you know, I've been thinking since mom's been in the hospital, you know, mom and dad aren't going to be here forever. And when they pass, I don't think I can be in this house by myself. Like, that's just a lot to take care of. Mm -hmm. So he really started to think about, you know, what his needs were, because at that point he was 
living at home with our parents. Um, the location was really great. He was near public transportation. He was able to go to work. You know, he really, he shoveled snow for, you know, our aging parents. It was like really a nice kind of setup, but he recognized that, you know, something that I had been thinking about for years, quite frankly, recognized that, you know, while it was a, a viable situation at that point, it wouldn't last forever. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, and kudos to Peter. That's you good. know, that's pretty Peter insightful. Has, yeah, it's very insightful. Peter has intellectual disabilities, and he is very insight, insightful about many things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is not that is not one of the areas that he needs uh, a ton of support. Right? He's he's really good about kind of recognizing these things. So, um, yeah, he sort of, I would say, you know, lit that lit that match, you know, and lit that fire under all of us. And so we started to talk about planning and he, you know, he said, Emily, I really want to, I really think I want to live in New York um, to be near you. And, uh, you know, at first my reaction was because my brother had, he would visit me in New York and we would have a great time. We'd go to baseball games and go out for pizza. By the way, there's no better pizza in the world than in New York. Hello. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I've lived in many places. I've tried, but it's no. just John NYC has it village. all. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's where we went. <laughs> Digression. <laughs> Digression. My 11 year old on his birthday insisted that we go there. Yeah, and it's a little so. hole in the wall. It is a little hole in the wall and it's the best pizza you'll ever have. So if you're listening, we love you. okay um so anyhow so I really you know we had to have conversations about like what that expectation was like what would that look like living in New York City every day you know riding the subway every day or riding the bus every day and um you know living in an apartment that was maybe smaller than the house that he was used to living in uh so you know we did a lot of talking and I at that time worked for a large disability service provider in New York City. So I had really, I, I want to say like really the luxury of being able to ask a lot of questions of my colleagues. Um, I was working on the communication side of things. I wasn't like, a, you know, directly in the field. And there was a lot of procedures and processes and requirements that I had to learn about to understand what would it mean to move my brother to New York. And so um, the first thing that we had to do was have Peter move in with me and my now husband, which party you talk about how you meet your husband and you're like, so this is the deal, right? Like, <laughs> yep, I'm a package yep. deal. This is something I actually wrote about in a book called Thicker Than Water, which is a collection of essays by adult siblings. Um, mine was called Happily Ever After Question Mark. And it was all about dating and sort of trying to find your life partner Um as kind of a package deal. And how do you find that person who's going to deal with not only with my lovely quirks, but, you know, with my brother and the fact that this person might assume the role of being a caregiver to him as well. So, um, so that became really real when my brother moved in with us and um, it was definitely a learning experience, but, you know, my husband and I talked a lot about, doing things at that time to invest in my brother's future and to invest in our future because we didn't, you know, I had heard so many stories um, about 
from my job, you know, the last parent passes, the adult with the disability is living at home, and suddenly there's a crisis situation, Precisely. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the sibling, we don't have time to grieve even because we're mm-hmm. scrambling to figure out what can I do to help my sibling, like to help my, in my case, it would be to help my brother. I didn't want that scenario to play out. So as, as much as it was kind of um, an investment, you know, and, and a trial for all of us, I mean, my brother was suddenly living with his bossy sister, you know, who's telling him like, what to do and what not to do. It was, you know, it was definitely, it was a lot, but um, I think we learned a lot about each other and ourselves throughout that process for sure. And I'm so grateful now, and especially to my husband for really like trusting me and understanding we are going to go through this process now to ensure that, you know, the path forward is a lot smoother for all of us. So um, so anyway, long story short, we eventually did um, get my brother. Um, we met eligibility requirements to receive services in New York. And he was on a wait list. <laughs> we all know how the wait list goes. And um, eventually did get into a supportive apartment with an amazing roommate. And um, fast forward to current day my brother actually has a different roommate now. He's had a different roommate for, I think, about 10 years, uh, which is his girlfriend. Oh, wow. Um, yes, he met a lady friend, and they've lived together for more than a decade. And they, um, you know, they just, they really support each other, which is so nice. Yeah. Um, and I am the caregiver from afar, which is an interesting role. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Wow. So courts. Yes. Uh, that, so when you talk about kind of being a caregiver from afar and your, uh, how you had to kind of find a partner and who was willing to take these steps with you. And now when you were first entering the role of, okay, like caregiver is now more of a role that I'm taking on and having your sibling move in with you. Like it's, those are all things that I, have either very recently experienced or I'm about to start going into. And we, like I said, we're in the process of moving and we're heading up to Maryland uh, rather than Pennsylvania. So that we'll be about an hour away. So kind of being close enough to come visit on a weekend and far enough away that, you know, it's not every five seconds. Um, And also, you know, babysitting is great. Thanks mom. Um, I'm excited. excited. You've been gone for so long, you know, ready to, ready to get out of here. Um, But it's, I don't have a lot of people in my life who are going through anything similar to what I am about to go through at all. So it's cool hearing somebody who's like, yeah, no, like you, you're going to come out of this. Like you're going to be able to have your sibling kind of have their own life. Cause also like living with your sibling, no, no one really wants to live with their sibling forever for the most part, the same way. I mom, I love you so much. I don't want to live with you again. Um, then I think that's right, back pretty normal. <laughs> that's such a normal thing. Um, yes, it is. And it's appropriate. Yeah. And you know, my brother is 25. Yeah. 20. Yeah. He's 25. So yeah. he's doing all the normal kind of 25 year old things. And that doesn't include like, oh, I want to move in with my big sister and her husband and they're 
you know, their toddler and all these things. It's like, okay, like this, some of this is very normal, but we have to kind of add extra everything to it. And it's just, I, I hope that I can have myself together, uh, kind of the way other people have done it. And it's, it's a lot. And I'm very impressed with you, Emily. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And I, I have to say, I have to give a little plug, um, for, so the sibling support project, we facilitate a number of, um, Facebook groups. I know, I know the young people these days are not on the Facebook, but I have to say that our Facebook groups, we have um, among them more than 8,000 members. And there's one for adult siblings, which is called SibNet. So S-I-B, capital N-E-T, all one word. And we have a group for Sibs in their 20s, which is called Sib20, Sib20. And then we have one for teenagers called Sibteen. Um but Courtney, when you talk about how like um, validating it is to hear from another sibling, even at a different stage of life or whatever, and how hard it is, because like you said, you know, we don't necessarily know other siblings who are going through similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, joining those Facebook groups is such a, for me, it was really a life-changing way to understand and validate my own experience and I'm going to date myself again we'll just talk about how old we all are during this podcast but um Sibnet actually has been around since like the internet and it started out as a listserv and I was on the listserv okay that's how old I am um but even you know even when you didn't have like images and pictures and you know videos and all the great things we have now it was just so gratifying to read posts from other people and sometimes it was just like an email address that you saw or like a screen name and it was like chapters of my life you know that I could read about in other people and it was yeah. just it was really really cool so if anyone who is listening is a sibling Courtney we hope to see you in the group soon um you know that's just a really it's a really nice way to connect with people who get it Okay. I, I really, that was my next question was this to sort of make this connection because I do realize courts, you haven't got anybody that I can think of that you're close enough to that, you know, especially far away here is who gets this, who lives this story. One of the things that I get so much strength from is what I say, the, the, my other parents where they get it, where I always say, some friends you say, well, once upon a time and you have to start the story and they don't quite get it. And this crew, you go, and then this happened, you know, like you can just pick up where you left off. They get it. It really is life saving. And I would love to see that happen for you. If not in person, then virtually, you know, it's something like these Facebook pages and yeah, you're young and old people do Facebook, but you know, what is you're still on there. I know you're on there somewhere and you click on stuff. So I don't know if you want to give it a, a chance. Do you think you'd check it out? Yeah, I will definitely check it out for sure. Um, cause especially cause I've been, I've been kind of all over the place in the past few years. So I haven't even gotten to put roots down somewhere. So I could meet somebody who's been through the same 
kind of thing. Cause the one thing that I always think is funny, um, is whenever I, whenever I talk to somebody with just a friend or whoever about like, Oh, my sibling with a disability is all that they, they're just like, Oh, that's so hard. Or, Oh, that's so whatever. It's like, yeah, no, he's still my brother. It doesn't matter how many chromosomes he has. He's still my annoying little brother. Um, and some of it, it's not because he has down syndrome or has a disability. It's like, no, I'm just talking to you because he's annoying. Um, cause he just, he did something. He yeah. took money out of my wallet or he and, my husband ganged up on me or whatever so having just those normal kind of sibling relationship things to talk about with somebody else who's like yeah no like they're still just your brother is your brother is your brother is your brother and And yeah so having that with a sibling who's kind of sharing that would be really interesting too yeah yeah for sure and I think another nice thing about that group is that you know there are siblings of people with all kinds of disabilities and um you know health and developmental and mental health Concerns. And, you know, not not all of them are as independent as our brothers, right? I mean, both of our brothers live, you know, basically, you know, independently with supports, right? Like with staff support. Yes. And there are right. siblings of people who, you know, have complex medical needs, who have much more impactful disabilities and who require much more support. And so, you know, for folks who are listening who might fall into that category, um, I think it's equally important to recognize kind of what you said, Courtney, which is that, you know, it's okay to not want to live with your sibling and not want to take care of them 24-7. And I think many parents kind of struggle with that too. Um, you know, when you have a high needs child and you're thinking about the future after you're gone, which is like not a fun thing for any of us to think about, right? This is why this is like a big barrier to future planning. This is like why I would, I would say one of the main reasons families don't do future planning is because of that emotional barrier. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to sit down and talk about a time when I'm not here. Right. I've already exactly. decided that you're going to be here forever. Like you can't, you can't leave me. I have too many questions. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I think for our families, especially it's, it's important to have those conversations, you know, and to like just really tackle the tough stuff and, and move through it so that you can put plans in place that are going to meet the wishes of all the family members, like including siblings, including the person with a disability and including parents. Um, so that I, I kind of feel like it's something that it, you're lucky to have the opportunity to do now while everyone's here, you know, and to take advantage of that opportunity. So, um, cause that, you know, it might look different in terms of the needs, um, of the person with the disability and so important to have a conversation as a family, like how do we meet those needs without necessarily, you know, impacting the future of one family member or two family members in a way that, you know, doesn't meet their goals and dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Can help courts? Yeah, it, it does. It's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Um, I, it's, I, I'm so grateful that things like Sibnet exist so that you can ask questions. You can do all these things. It's like, you're so not alone with all this. Uh, it's very validating. So I'm excited to, to be more of a part of it. And I'll add that right after we get off of this interview. <laughs> awesome. We'll approve it right away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Click. Um, huh, yeah. Uh, so 
I think about, you know, like this can be a million and six different episodes and a million and six different angles. Like I think about financial planning. I think about all these pieces that I'm thinking about that we're going to pass on to you. Sorry about that. But, um, you know, there's, there are things to need to know. And there are things to sort of say, you know, you got to live in the today. Um, when, when you do think about, well, when I'm not here anymore and you realize I didn't really believe I was going anywhere, but it's real, it's, it's sobering, you know, um, but it is. And I think whatever we can do to get to a peaceful place with all that, and part of it is really the planning and the conversations that For sure. really need to happen despite their discomfort, you know? For sure. Yeah. And there are some really great resources out there. Um, so at our on our website, uh, we have a resources page and there are some future planning, free future planning resources out there for families. Um, I will say the ARC Center for Future Planning is amazing. You can create a future plan online. There's no cost for it, but it really helps you think about, you know, all those little pieces you just mentioned, like the financial, you know, the housing, the residential, the the day activities, um, benefits, right? Like that was for when I was, you know, trying to working to um, get my brother set up with services the eligibility and how the benefits worked. And then you finally figured it out and it would change, you know, like the law oh, yeah. would change or the, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so hard, which is one of the reasons we wrote that book. We wrote the sibling survival guide because we wanted it to be really kind of a one-stop shop for siblings who adult siblings who were starting to think about and um, encounter these things. Mm-hmm. So uh, future planning is, is a really big piece of that. And um, I think you're right. I think it's not, you don't want to, be mired in this stuff like all the time but you do so it's like you want to kind of set it and forget it right mm-hmm. like you I like put that, your yeah. future plan in place it's like a crock pot I mean I love my crock <laughs> yeah, pot, I love but- that yeah it's like a crock pot yep <laughs> it's like a crock pot you kind of set it and forget it and you revisit it every now and then you know I always say I think the other challenge with future planning is it's like you're so afraid that you're going to make this plan and it's going to be set in stone and it feels really final but then I always point to 2020 when we all had plans yeah. and the universe had other plans. Like, yeah, we just yeah. had to throw everything out the window because of COVID, right? right, right. I, I think future planning needs to be a process that's flexible and fluid and hopefully fun. Um, I know a sibling, I always talk about her. She's like, I love this. She, um, a sibling in Michigan, she uh, has built this real community around her sister and it's her mom and herself and her sister and a lot of their women friends they will get together like quarterly and um it's it's really this idea of having a village and kind of thinking about who else is going to support her sister in the future and that really involves building those relationships now so they'll get together and they'll on a friday night or a saturday night they'll have like wine and cheese they'll sit around and they'll talk about what's going on in their lives so that when it comes time to support her sister it's not like well who is she and what is she like and what you know what supports does she have in place it's like oh no we're already part of her life like we already get it and you know, I can pick up this piece of it. And, you know, my aunt can pick up this piece of it. And my girlfriend will pick up this piece of it. So, you know, I think ideally future planning is also a fun process because you can really think about what are your goals and dreams and how do you move towards those goals and dreams. Um, And equally important is thinking about and less fun is thinking about the nightmare. Like what is the nightmare? 
and just getting it out there and everyone articulating it so that you can take steps to move away from the nightmare and towards the, towards the dream. Yeah. Just really putting things out there gives you a chance to, 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 uh, to internalize that we had, when we were doing person-centered planning, we were fans of a path uh, and they were often taped to the wall just so you walk by and you're like, how we doing here? And I think everybody in this life should get a path, you know? Um, And I've drawn up little informal ones from time to time, but we would do that around Nick. And it really was helpful to say, well, and sometimes it was a really great way to celebrate like, wow, we did that. He's doing a big old check in the box. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it or nailing it or didn't nail it or didn't. We're ahead of schedule. Check. Yeah. 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 So those kinds of tools, there's, you know, different types of tools, but some kind of way of committing to it, even on paper or virtually can be really, really helpful because you can go back to it and build on it or rip it up or whatever. So I love that. Um, For sure. And even just having all the information in one place. You know, um, we use a curriculum called The Future is Now that was developed at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and it's a training that we do with families. And the outcome is that every family has a letter of intent. And it's it's kind of a it can be a notebook or a binder or it's kind of like a roadmap for future steps. Um, and, and the idea of having all this information, you know, what is our family story? What are our traditions? How do we celebrate holidays and birthdays? Even those little seemingly small details, in addition to who's my medical provider, you know, what is my service plan? Um, is there a special needs trust? Is there, you know, a plan for resident? Are we on a wait list? What are my services? All of those important things to have in one place. Um, is really a gift that a parent can leave for children Um, because part of it is just, you know, knowing, having the information and so helpful to have it in one place. Yeah. Mine's not real pretty. It's a Google doc, but But I can read it and that's important. And it's shared with me and that's all that matters. The ever present work in progress of a letter of intent. And the other one that's just, here's all the names and the numbers and, and carefully the accounts um, the medications and all that, that if anybody wants to know, here they are. Yes. Um, and so it's, I actually feel better when I do stuff like that. And I just remember to get back and update it, but, um, that helps me. And I'm always hopeful that it helps you and that it's not, you're not the only person who's we're sharing that I'm sharing that with so that, you know, that in our own little circle, someone else can be looking at it too and saying, oh yeah, you know, so we, while we do have work to do, I'm really, you know, kind of happy that we are moving in a good direction. And Emily, is there anything else I should know to support my daughter? I mean, I think you have done a phenomenal job, first of all, by enabling Nick to have some independence and... Um, to start to build a life of his own outside of your home, I think is incredible. And also a gift to Courtney, because that's not something that she's going to have to set up later in life. Um, I, I, I think you've done so many things right in terms of including Courtney in the process um, of planning. Like you said, Courtney, I've been part of planning for a long time. Like you've always known what's going on with Nick. And so I think sharing that information is huge. That is, we know from the research that 
one of the biggest ways that the sibling experience really parallels the parent experience is that need for information, you know, about the disability, about the service plan. When you think about it, parents have access to doctors and clinicians and social workers and special ed teachers and, you know, a lot of professionals who can share that information. And if siblings are lucky, they get that information from their parents. Uh, but we know, we, we know from not only research, but our own experiences working with siblings, that information sharing doesn't always happen. And it's usually for the best and most loving reasons. You know, like the parent doesn't want to burden their child or worry them or confuse them. Um, but, you know, I often invite parents to think about, to consider the, the idea that, you know, a, a disability is not experienced by one person in the family, right? It's experienced by all of us in our own ways. And by not talking about the disability, it really sends a message that um, it's not okay to ask questions. This topic is off limits. You know, this taboo, there's, there's a stigma around it. Um, Whereas if you include siblings in those planning discussions, even around like IEP planning, right? You know, not to not to obligate the sibling to attend the IEP meeting, but maybe to invite them if they want to, or maybe to share their input. You mm-hmm. know, they can they say things friends. like, "Well, you know, my yeah. brother Nick is he really this is, is really sets him off. You know, don't do this." Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he communicates this way. Like this is like this is how you know he's happy. This is how you know he's confused or whatever. Like siblings, we have a lot of insights. Courtney <laughs> was yeah, always this- my fashion consultant. Like, don't let him go out there in that. And yeah, I, that was very I helpful. I, I miss you now. <laughs> I'll be back. Don't worry. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully in the next That's, month or so, we'll be back. Just um, early at this point. But yeah, sometimes it's <laughs> great with that, with the things that the kids were doing, because they were in the same high school at the same time. And, you know, she was another set of eyes in the high school, too. And like, everything all right? Yeah, everything's fine. You know, for sure. uh, I was a little spy, for sure. I was his little... James Bond or <laughs> spying and making sure that everything was okay and having that input. Um, and I always felt really appreciated because uh, whenever mom would ask for my input of just, yeah, so like, how are things doing? Like, should he wear this? It was like these little kind of things. He thinks he should wear this, but mm, I don't know. <laughs> and also like, no one wants to be dressed by their mom. Like no, no exactly. teenager wants to be dressed by their mom. Like, and I couldn't do anything about the smell of all the cologne, but other than that, you know, I did hide some of those, some of the ones that went missing. That, that was me. Um, I will admit that. Okay. (laughs) I don't feel bad about it. And it sounds like Cordy, I mean, I'm curious to know because you, I think we, we have had similar experiences in that, you know, I, my parents never pushed me to be a caregiver for my brother when we were young. And they always encouraged me to, you know, play sports and, and do all the, the activities that I wanted to do to figure out who I was and, and what I was about and what I like to do. And I think because I had so much um, support in like sort of going out into the world and doing my thing, I was always much more willing. Like I always knew that I would do anything for my brother and that I would care for him and be there. And I think a lot of it was because I, I didn't have pressure put on me to do that. Like I felt it was my choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And that having that freedom kind of have it be your choice. That was such, such a great thing that I am so lucky to have been given. It's like, yeah, no, like 
I remember us sitting down and having the conversation, having a pretty in-depth conversation about kind of the future of Nick. Um, and I just remember you saying like, I, you never wanted this to feel like a burden on me and that you were grateful for what I had done. And it was very much my choice to continue being a part of my brother's life. But I never, I never felt like I um, was kind of second to Nick's needs ever. Even when we were going through some tough stuff or whatever, Nick had more needs. And I also think that was just part of his personality as just being a more extroverted person than I was. Nick wanted to go bowling and see his friends all the time and do this and the other. Whereas I was totally fine going to Barnes and Noble or the library and getting a book. And like, that was fine with me. But Nick, we both got our needs met and you both recognized what those needs were. Okay. So. (sighs) We tried. We tried. Good job, good job, mom. Yeah. Ah. Now it's recorded. So I never have to say it again. <laughs> get this, what is our line? It's like, uh, you're my favorite daughter. Daughter, whatever. Yep. Um, it's fine. It's pandering. But it's fine. So, <laughs> so Facebook group, um, Sibnet, Sib20, Sibteen. What else is out there that you'd recommend that Sibs maybe check out if they haven't already? This yeah, sub- well. The, the listeners can't see, but I'm wearing my Sib Shop sweatshirt today. Um, and you mentioned that Courtney went to Sib Shops. Yay. I did. Um, I did. For the parents who are listening, I think it's really, really important to um, understand how valuable it can be for young siblings to meet other young siblings and to have a safe space where they can, first of all, celebrate who they are as people and discover more about who they are as people and to talk about the ups and downs of having a sibling with a disability, um, which is really what Sib Shops are all about. Sib Shops are um, really fun pedal to the metal events for school-age siblings. So typically between the ages of eight and 13, they've been around since 1982 and they exist in about... uh, in just about every U.S. state and 20 countries around the world. And they're offered in schools. And uh, where did you do your sub shop? Do you remember? I did mine at Easter Seals. I feel like it was Easter Seals is one. Um, Sometimes the ARC will sponsor it. Sometimes it will be a children's hospital or a disability service provider or 4-H club or Parks and Rec, you name it. Any place you might find a kid. There's a good chance you could find a sip shop there. Um, But sip shops are really our answer for the same kind of peer support that parents get from a good parent to parent Mm -hmm. program. And I know um, you mentioned just the value of connecting with other parents and people who are walking on a similar path. For siblings, that's so tremendously important. I mean, growing up, uh, I never knew another others uh, another sibling um, who had a brother or sister with a disability, and that that could be a really lonely place to hang out and to feel like, oh gosh, no one will possibly understand, you know, what's going on in my life and in our family um, because they just they don't they aren't living a similar experience. And so, um, sib shops to this day are really magical spaces where sibs can meet other people, realize they're not alone. Um, again, talk about the ups and downs. And most importantly, I think, um, play, we do a lot of, a lot of playing in sib shops, um, because we're working with kids. And so we want first and foremost, sib shops to be fun and sib shops to be places that siblings want to keep returning to, um, because they're fun. And because 
um, of that connection and that peer support. Peer support's huge in sim shops because no offense to all the moms and dads out there, but um, Courtney, tell me, you know, tell me if I'm a little off base here, but uh, especially young siblings really value the um, information and advice from other from our peers, from our friends, right? Like who's better to tell you how to deal with someone who's bullying your sibling than the kid next to you who just dealt with that last week, right? absolutely. Um, So peer support is a really big part of Sib Shops. Um, So yeah, so if parents are interested, uh, check out our website. We have a directory of Sib Shops um, and you can search by your city and state. If there's nothing close to you, if there's no sim shops nearby, if you want to start your own sim yeah. shop, definitely give us the jingle and we'll, um, you know, we'll help you do that. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. That's yeah. good to know, too, because, yeah. yeah, we were fortunate that it was not too far away. It was just over Easter Seals out Middletown Road. Um, but for others, it might not be. So good to know that we can, you know, if you're interested, you can actually we can access the sibling experience at so many different junctures. Uh, through the Facebook groups and and sib shops, so this is good stuff. And I thank you so much. Um, and I want to say, ladies, thank you both. Thank you, Emily Hall, and thank you to my darling daughter for um, being here today and spending time with us listeners on today's episode. Uh, both of your siblings, both of your parents, both of your daughters, um, and so we're all on this parallel path. Listeners, thank you. I hope you'll like and follow our podcast. I hope you'll share it with family and friends. And I really hope you'll return to listen and learn for more stories of people like you and me and our loved one with a disability on our parallel paths because you're not alone. We're here and we'll see you next time.